0: Years ago, I'd be getting laughed at by people by saying, I do space warfare and space policy, and I am interested in what the UK is doing in this area. You know, I get, I get giggles um, about that. You know, they're, they're not laughing at me anymore.
1: From the Defence and Aerospace Report, this is The Downlink, a podcast about the intersection of space, the space business, and defence. Not just what's over the horizon, but what's happening above it. I'm your host, Laura Winter. Hello again, Downlink listeners. This week, we're going to examine the defense-related space ambitions of our closest ally, Britain, because in the last week, the Ministry of Defense released its much-anticipated policy paper on defense space strategy, or DSS, as the British policy wonks like to call it. The United Kingdom has been a spacefaring nation since the 1960s and the REL satellite program. It's a member of the European Space Agency, and it's also a signatory to the U.S.-led Artemis Accords. At the United Nations, Britain is leading the effort to agree to a set of rules governing space behavior. But with all that, I have to admit, I was a bit underwhelmed by the U.K.'s first defense space strategy and the level of funding, you know. The ambition, so I reached out to Bleden Bowen, a space warfare expert at the University of Leicester and the author of the book *War in Space: Strategy, Space Power, Geopolitics*, and Juliana Zeus, who is the space security policy lead at the Royal United Services Institute. Hi, Bleden. Hi, Juliana. Hi, Laura. Hi, Laura. So if you two could uh, take a moment and introduce yourselves uh, to my U.S. audience and um, explain what it is that you do and uh, what you're working on right now. Bledin, why don't you start first?
0: Uh, Hi, yeah, uh, I'm Dr. Bledin Bowen. I'm a lecturer in international relations at the University of Leicester in the UK, Um, speaking to you from Leicester today. And I specialise in space warfare, military thought about outer space and international relations writ large uh, in space, really.
2: And Juliana? Hi, everyone. My name's Juliana Zeus, and I'm the research analyst and policy lead for space security at the Royal United Services Institute. That's RECI in London. And I'm also the host of War in Space. I've been lucky enough to have both Laura and Bleden on my podcast, where we also discuss the intersection between national security and space.
1: So for the sake of this U.S. audience, Juliana, could you explain what a policy paper from the MOD and more specifically on the space domain should accomplish? Did it make the grade?
2: So this defense space strategy that we saw published this week uh, is such an important one because it is the first one. And it comes in the back of the national space strategy that was published in September last year. So these are meant to be complementary. So it is the first sort of national strategy on space and the first one was had more of a focus on industry and civil society and the one published this week um, was obviously published by the Ministry of Defence and had a defence focus. The strategy published this week focused on defense capabilities and how the UK aims to operationalize the space domain. And so it outlined its priorities over the next 10 years, as well as its budget and the objectives um, that we will see in this domain from a military perspective. Well, then, what
1: do you think? What's your number one takeaway? Did it actually make the grade? So
0: this sort of document speaks to a wide range of audiences. Um, sets out agreed ways of thinking about space and I, I think in terms of setting out general priorities and providing more detail on some previous things that have been teased I think that's good um, there's no alarm bells ringing uh, the general tone of it is correct so it speaks about the UK being a meaningful space actor This is a significant contrast to the usual rather turgid language of world beating technology or global Britain or world leading. There's a sort of more modest tone to it and recognizing that the UK, especially in military terms, is a very small power, um, because Britain has traditionally outsourced its military and intelligence space activities. So that general tone, I think, is fine. It's not really, uh, I, I don't think it'll upset many people as well, which is what you want to avoid with these sorts of big headline documents. So in that sense, I think it's fine. We've got a bit more detail on specific capabilities acquisitions. I think there can be more detail, but generally speaking, broad strokes, there's no alarm bells here. So I think it's 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 fine. Um, I think the big thing to take away, away from it culturally is, it helps mainstream space within the MOD and the civil service. Years ago, I'd be getting laughed at by people by saying, I do space warfare and space policy, and I am interested in what the UK is doing in this area. You know, I get I get giggles um, about that. You know, they're, they're not laughing at me anymore. So um, I, I think mainstreaming of space, uh, you know, alongside the National Space Strategy and a lot of the other... You know, high-profile policy announcements and events that have happened in the UK have have helped make space power more of a serious thing within the, the military and policy elites in the UK.
1: Juliana, Bleden, what should be the MOD's and, by extension, Space Command's top two or three priorities? And did the paper do that? Bleden, why don't you start?
0: So in terms of the priorities, um, I, I think really... Uh, the the document is is right as it is to focus on Skynet. You know that's that's the big military space assets that the UK already has. So um, a handful of satellites in geostationary uh, orbit that provide secure military and government communications. Uh, those are being modernised now into the sixth generation. Um, the acquisition cost I think is around five billion pounds. Um, so that that is the big thing, and you know they shouldn't mess around with that so that priority is correct and they need to get that right i think there are still some questions around the degree to which people in uniform are going to be involved in the day-to-day operations um because for the past few years um or the past contract with airbus it's been airbus personnel that have been sort of day-to-day operating that so if the uk uh, if the mod is more serious about getting People in uniform with operational experience, then getting more people involved in the running of Skynet might be the next step. Um, but this, again, is something that is outsourced, so it'll take time to bring that in. So I'd like to see some idea of where is the MOD going to get operational experience in actually flying satellites? Because other European military forces do have more experience here because they've had more access themselves in space, whereas the UK hasn't. So the area is already the right priority, but skills and people, I think, really do need to be up there as well in terms of what we already have. Um, the ISR constellation, which would be the um, synthetic aperture radar, I think that potentially I think is, co- is a correct priority as well. We don't know exactly where that's going to fit into the MOD's wider terrestrial force priorities, because I don't think the MOD is clear on what those priorities are. You know, is a, you know, naval task forces. Um, air, you know, we're cutting air mobility, but we keep using it. Um, you know, there are real big questions over terrestrial force priorities, and that feeds into space priorities. Then, if we're investing in an ISR constellation. How does that meet the priorities of the MOD then? But if we're not clear on those priorities, then it's harder to say what the space priorities should, should be. But generally speaking, there are always demands on ISR during a crisis or operation. So I imagine there would be many uses for an ISR constellation like a, like a synthetic aperture system as well. So um, you know Germany has found that very, very useful for themselves. Um, So given the tempo of operations that British forces have, I'm sure there'll be many uses there. But this is very sensitive, so we're not going to get a lot of detail. So I think those priorities are interesting and correct as they are, really. So you said two priorities, so I will leave that there.
1: Juliana, what else? What moves the ball forward for you?
2: Um, There's a very crucial part of that strategy, um, which they have under the heading of, you know, value for your money. And that's the own collaborate and access scheme. So it's the thinking of what are our priorities and what do we actually need to own? What needs to be a sovereign capability? Where can we collaborate with other partners such as ESA, such as the U.S., other partners? And where can we kind of buy access or or have that buy-in? which is a really interesting way of looking at it, because particularly for a small space power such as the UK, it is important to have that prioritisation of where you put your money, especially if you're in the stage where the UK is now, where some capabilities you already have, but you're still finding your feet of where you are, where you can fit in with your allies and your partners. Um, Obviously, Three big things that were mentioned already, uh, satellite communications, SDA, so space domain awareness, and ISR, so intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance. Um, SATCOM has got to be the the biggest priority here. Um, And obviously Skynet 6, Breden's already mentioned, and it is so important in terms of increasing bandwidth because it is really good news for ISR capabilities, which are becoming... Ever more data hungry, and to keep going with these capabilities, you do need, you know, a, a stable network that can support that. And it also matters hugely for MDI, so multi-domain integration, which is featured quite heavily as part of this strategy. We we don't have a lot of detail on on a lot of these capabilities, uh, partly because things are classified. So we'll we'll have to see how these actually play out in the future. But uh, yeah, SDA. Will, uh, is is a very crucial capability. And to see it so high up on the priority list uh, is, is reassuring.
1: The paper does a nice and tidy job of pointing out the various environmental and man-made threats. But the line just above that list was a sentence that really struck me. It says, quote, Our inaction risks undermining the significant investments we have made, unquote. Is there a lack of action in the space domain, Juliana?
2: I think that's a really great question, Laura. Um, I think it's it, it depends how you define that in action. I think one way to look at this problem is um, the kind of lack of international agreements that we have surrounding behaviors and um, general activities in space. And the UK has been a lead in that forum uh, on an international platform, namely the UN. Uh, by pushing forward Resolution 7536, uh, which is called Responsible Behaviours in Space. Um, And we're still waiting to see where exactly that will go. There's a working group looking at this topic right now, um, with the goal of the responsible behaviours to be to define what these behaviours look like and how we can foster sort of trust and transparency building activities in space. And to you, Bleden,
1: in my reading of the document, I couldn't help but notice the repetition of the phrase leveling up of our space economy. Now, that implies that there is a plan for the MOD to work more effectively with UK commercial space sector. Am I reading this correctly? Is there a plan? And if so, what is it?
0: Uh, yeah, leveling up is, is a political slogan. Um, it's that, That's what it is. So anything that receives investment from the UK government is part of the leveling up agenda of the Boris Johnson government. So it's anything and everything. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't focus on that phrase. In terms of linking up with commercial interests, well, the ISR programme, um, so project Oberon, I, if I remember correctly, um, was the ISR Research and Development Project that um, the Defence Science and Technology Laboratory developed uh, uh, to, you know, test out the new way of doing synthetic aperture radar with small satellites uh, flying in formation. And, and that involves British companies. So that's the sort of stuff. Uh, I took reading from from reading the the DSS uh, really, so that sort of integration and um, looking at where British companies can help meet MOD capabilities, and you know that's on a par with the military industrial complexes in space in other space powers, you know, in France, uh, you know, or Europe, um, and in the United States as well, uh, you know, Japan and China and Russia. So you know, it's it's good that the UK is thinking along those lines because you know the space economy is still driven by the military industrial complexes of the world um you know it, when we talk about private space companies they're they're chasing public money really for the most part genuinely private space activity is very very rare and small scale you know and in specific sectors like tv um and maybe imagery but so so in that sense that's what i took from it but an area of integration i thought with maybe civil and commercial stuff that wasn't really dwelled upon uh, was in small very small satellite launch so so on the civil side you know the UK wants the UK government wants to launch small satellites from places like Scotland uh, you know with vertical launch and then horizontal launch from um, you know Cornwall where they want Virgin Orbit to set up and there's a few with a small sort of space launch testing sites in, including in and in, in, in um, Eryri in Wales but um, there's not a lot of linkages in the DSS with those capabilities because the kinds of satellites the MOD might be acquiring are too big for those launch vehicles really um, or may not be going exactly into the right orbits that those spaceports can properly service so there was quite a disjuncture there to the point where I was thinking why is launch in the DSS at all because there's not a lot of linkage there. Not that there has to be either. That it doesn't have to be. Um, so when we talk about that commercial integration or you know, cooperation from yeah. you know a commercial industrial perspective is good, but not good news for people who don't want more military uh, or militarization of some space activities. Really, but you know that's that's the, that is very much a political perspective of the individual.
1: Well, here in the U.S., I mean, the commercial, um, the commercial space sector is really underpinned by defense spending. And, you know, what I wonder here in the U.K., for the U.K. commercial space sector, you know, what is the procurement opportunity and what are the challenges to the commercial sector when it is attempting to win contracts or deliver on requirements?
0: I think it's a very different beast to the United States simply because of scale. Um, you know the United States space economy and military industrial complex is just huge but the UK is integrated with that as well so companies like BAE Systems for example um, and the UK is very keen for one of the launch providers in the UK to be a Lockheed Martin owned company Um, but whichever one Lockheed Martin owns you know that's one of the companies the UK wants to come to launch in Scotland and I believe gave a £33 million grant for a couple of years ago Uh, they also gave around 10 million pounds to a company called orbex which is a european small satellite launcher with also ambitions to launch from scotland so so the uk is part of the larger american military industrial complex so for for a uk centric view it's it's a small small pool of opportunity and the headline figure in the dss is 1.4 billion pounds which is around 2 billion us dollars over 10 years so Over the 10 years, it's, you know, it's not that much money on the space side of things. For the UK and MOD, it's a lot, because the UK just hasn't done that much on this in the past. So the opportunities are small. Um, I think it's just, it's difficult to make comparisons with the United States, really. And increasingly, because of the effects of Brexit, there may be an increasing dividing line between more pan-European military industrial companies like Airbus and then the American-based giants or Anglo-American giants like BAE.
1: I want to pick up on that. Juliana, in the space policy paper, I read that the MOD was investing a, quote, further $1.4 in space over the next 10 years, in addition to existing commitments. It's even been headlined in uh, some of the news media as new money, I hate to seem like a pill, but that figure isn't really new, or is it? I mean, that number is from last July. Are there any actual additional monies that are in addition to what's already known? I mean, what's the state of the MOD space domain
2: budget? So we knew about those 1.4 billion pounds before, Um, but we do know now is the kind of allocation that the breakdown of money that that we didn't have um, before. So just a very brief breakdown, I'm not going to go through all of them, but for example, 970 million of that over the next uh, 10 years, will go to ISAR capabilities. And we already knew that 5 billion were promised for Skynet 6 over the next 10 years. Um, but we have now also been promised, uh, I think it was nearly 60 million in addition to that. So we do have a bit more clarity on where exactly the money is going. Um, but as Bleden has already pointed out, this is over 10 years. Most of these figures are, this is the budget for the next 10 years. So while it is a lot of money for the MOD, from the space industry side, um, it's not it's not the biggest pot of money um, that you could imagine, especially if you're thinking long timelines um, and if you're bearing in mind the developments that will go ahead in those next 10 years. So, um, yeah. So this is, uh, t- to either one of you, at
1: least throughout the paper, are references to supporting NATO and the Five Eyes community, and there's no doubt that Britain is a valued and integral ally. What area or space technology or service specifically does the MOD want to lead in and contribute to collective security? Is this really about Skynet?
0: Um, So I, I think, yeah, I think in terms of any ambitions to lead, you have to look at where the UK is Already proficient, so Skynet is a big one. Uh, but again, that's day-to-day operations is outsourced to Airbus. So, if you're looking at European operational experience in uniform, you're looking at France really, um, because if I'm looking at the most capable European military space power, France is at the top of my list, followed closely by Germany and Italy. Um, now, the UK is is significant in that um, it has very successfully integrated us and european military space support services into its terrestrial military military forces so in terms of space power integration the uk has a lot of experience there like uh, the other large military powers in europe so the uk can help nato do a lot of coordination and interoperability with ground forces and naval forces and air forces especially as more and more platforms are common between all of them now and you know, even with France, Germany, and Italy, and also Spain having their own space platforms, everyone is plugged into the American space empire. So, and and the UK is one of the best plugged into that as well. So, so the UK does have strengths, but you know, it's it's not like a standout military space power within NATO outside the United States, because you know, even Canada, Canada is significant. Uh, as well, in terms of its space experience with the United States, so um, so I didn't get much of a sense in terms of which specific areas it would want to lead in terms of NATO, or um, I mean, you know, really the United States would continue to be the leader in all the most important ways, um, but diplomatically the UK is very important in building consensus um so long as you know of course France doesn't think that Britain is just doing what the Americans tell them to <laughs> but you know that's that's the old fun of transatlantic uh, politics and alliance politics you know but that's the part of the charm of NATO really. so uh, if you know if we weren't having those discussions I'd be very worried. it's part of the furniture. Uh, so so I think you know we have to put that UK capability in context. Um, so the UK does have strengths there. But in terms of ISR, you know, imagery and intelligence gathering from space, the UK is just really getting started on that, or or the MOD in the UK is only really just getting into that. So I'd like the UK to perhaps, and and going back to what Giuliano was saying earlier about allies and partners, if the UK wants to do more ISR in space, I think it should be more obvious in terms, there's an obvious opportunity to learn from Germany and France, as you know peers in terms of scale and size and Germany especially has been doing synthetic aperture radar for a long time you know there's there's a Finnish company now doing SAR as well on the open market so we can even go to Finland I mean it's not part of NATO but um you know they are also a member of ESA um so we have a lot of partners that we can learn from that isn't the United States and you know the United States doesn't necessarily do everything in a way that the UK should emulate so I think that's one area the DSS could be more obvious in um, and more sort of um, more, I think, writing more about what we can learn from our allies uh, as well. And we also need to work with the European Union as well. Much as the British establishment doesn't want to talk about the European Union right now, the European Union is providing really important military relevant space infrastructure, namely Galileo. Uh, Which, of course, is another thing the British uh, haven't enjoyed over the past few years. But, you know, we can't ignore it. And the United States is very keen to use Galileo as a backer for GPS. And if the United States does that, then the British should follow and probably will. And Norway is, is making those same noises as well. So we can't ignore... E.U. military space infrastructure either. So um, so I think in context, the, I think the U.K. has as much to learn from its allies as, you know, the, the niche areas it can maybe offer to some other even smaller European powers.
1: If there was one takeaway uh, that my audience should have from this paper, what should it be?
0: That the U.K. has never been more serious about military activities and space. Um the activities are modest, but, you know, they're they're paying attention to space now in the way that they weren't 10, 15 years ago.
1: Thank you so much for your time, Bladen.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Thanks very much for having me on.
1: You will likely have noticed that Juliana dropped out of the conversation there at the end. She had to run to a prior engagement, but nevertheless, I am thankful for the time she was able to give us. That's it for this week. If you like what you're hearing here on the downlink, please consider subscribing. You can do that on iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. I'm Laura Winter, and thank you for listening.